Stu Breyer with the WICH. Let's get right to our guest. Looking forward to chatting with Congressman Joe Courtney. Welcome home. Good to be back, Stu. Good to have you with us. Make sure that microphone yeah. yep. is... I can uh, hear you loud and clear. Oh, hmm. is it, is, uh, the, how's that? Is that better? Yeah, maybe let's try this microphone, see if this one is any better. Hello. Can you hear me now? <clears throat> yeah, I think I've got a little problem with this. Okay. okay. You're plugged in there. Yeah, okay. How's that? Better? Yeah, it's better, except I'm just having a little trouble with my earphones, so we'll we'll do the best that we can. So, Mr. Joe, let's start off with some positive things, yeah. and that is you were at the uh, job fairs, and uh, they had the pretty darn good results, didn't they? They did. So this morning um, over in Mystic, the uh, New London Day uh, hosted um, their sort of annual or semi-annual job fair, which... Um, uh, you know, with all that's going on right now in terms of the hiring, particularly down at the shipyard, I was curious just to sort of see whether, you know, there was going to be as much foot traffic in the, as in the past where there, you know, usually was like high volume of people that were there. So anyway, there, I mean, there was a good crowd. I mean, it was not as big as uh, uh, the last few times, but... Um, uh, regarding Electric Boat, I mean, yesterday I, I was also at their walk-in job fair that they hold every Wednesday, the walk-in Wednesday job fair on Eastern Point Road. And uh, for this calendar year, for 2023, uh, they have hired 3,900 people. Uh, that's, again, from January through uh, September 1. And um, their goal for the year was 5,750. You know, I actually, for SNCs, looked at the list of towns in the 2nd Congressional District. We have 63 towns in the 2nd Congressional District. There are 24 towns that have smaller populations than 5,750. So it's an amazing um, goal that they set for themselves, but they really are on track right now for making that happen. Norwich Tech you know, has been a big part of this. I, I went to their um, signing night uh, last June when kids were signing up to go to work there. Uh, some of the other high schools are now getting into, you know, basically uh, offering sort of shop type of uh, curriculum that's there. And uh, they've hired 300 kids from non-trade schools um, yeah, right out of high school. And then, uh, the, you know, the job training program that's in Norwich, the Eastern Connecticut Workforce Investment Board Manufacturing Pipeline Program, um, they've, they've, they've been supplying thousands of people to, to go in there. So... I mean, it's actually a pretty encouraging development that, you know, um, you know, the demand for submarines now are suddenly, you know, or have, have grown and grown and grown and now have reached the point, particularly with China and the Indo-Pacific region and, you know, the size of their Navy um, and Australia now lined up to, to actually purchase some U.S. submarines in the early 2030s. Um, the workload um, at that yard is going to continue well into the late 2030s and probably beyond. Well, it's like nice to start with some good news. Yes. We like that. All right. That's, uh, we're asking the callers who have a question to just get right to the question and have you respond. Hi, WICH, your question for Congressman Joe. Um, yes, I have a question. How, I'm, I'm what is your question? How did you think you won the election? Uh, what is the difference with uh, Mike Franz, who has the experience? And knowledge and work that he well, that's a that's a really silly question. He he honestly, got he won it because he got the most votes. We won't even by go 50, there. Fifty thousand, just for the record. By Fifty thousand <laughs> votes. That's how you win an election. <laughs> Hi, WICH. Your question for Congressman uh, Joe. Hi, Joe. Uh, uh, first of all, thank you very uh, much for the good work that you do for Eastern Connecticut. I was a police officer for twenty-five years. I retired in two thousand and three from the uh, Norwich Police Department. I paid Social Security uh, up to uh, 1987, at which time yep. they stopped. And I paid Social Security uh, on all, many other jobs before the police department and after the police department. So from the Social Security office right here on Main Street in Norwich, at this time I should be receiving $862 a month for, my, for all the Social Security that I paid in. However, I'm only getting $387 a month. So I'm losing $475 a month because of what the Republicans did in 1987 by passing the uh, Windfall Act yep. to uh, uh, hurt the police officers throughout this uh, uh, country. Um, I, I, I'm asking you to go back to Washington, D.C., and do your best to repeal this bill 
So mm-hmm. um, that we'll I'm not losing good. this kind of money and having it stolen from me that I earned. Okay, we'll so have Joe respond much, to it. I'll Absolutely. hang up to listen no, to No, thank answer. you. And thank uh, you. believe me, you are not alone. It's um, an interesting thing. No, point th- that was a change that was made back in the 80s. And, um, you know, really... Um, State public employees and local public employees have really taken it on the chin, be, despite the fact, as the caller said, you know, he, he was making contributions to the uh, Social Security insurance program, which is, it is an insurance program. And yet, because of the change of employment and the difference in terms of the way they structured their pension, um, not only did they um, not sort of continue to see their pension investment grow through Social Security, they actually um, took a hit in terms of what he's receiving. So... Um, tomorrow, actually, uh, Congressman John Larson, who's the um, top Democrat on the Social Security Subcommittee for the House Ways and Means Committee, is going to be joining me in Wyndham because uh, we're going to be doing um, uh, an event regarding John's bill to reform and fix these flaws that exist in the Social Security system. It's uh, Social Security 2100, um, and John, um, you know, has assembled a lot of, you know, groups that um, are supporting him because of, uh, you know, rolling back the WEP provision that we just heard about uh, from the caller, and, um, you know, it, it, it we're, it's it's time. I mean, this is such a, an unfairness to people who, uh, as I said, contributed their own. Yeah, Linda, Larry called yesterday about that when he knew you were coming in, yeah. and I said, "Call, uh, call Jill today." But it's a it's a strange uh, ruling. It is, and and it was a, a you know look at they were. I mean, I I, I wasn't there, so I'm not going to um, you know talk about what was motivating it but the bottom line is is it's so blindingly obvious that you know we need to fix that unfairness and john's bill will do that wyc had your question for congressman courtney hey thanks for calling what is your question uh congressman joe courtney this is joe i call sue all the time any question i met you joe what is your question please joe please okay Gotta get a question here. WYCH, what is your question? Uh, yes, good afternoon. Uh, my question is to to uh, Mr. Courtney. Mm-hmm. Back in May, back in May, the House uh, voted made a legislation to address the ongoing humanitarian crisis on our southern border. You remember that back in May 11th? Well, there, there's been a lot of votes. There's, there's, been, a lot, there's been a lot of votes, and, and, and there's was, different. There's, that was to, to disrupt yeah. the flow of deadly fentanyl yeah. into our United States. We're going to talk about the border. No, and so that bill. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. And what the border. Okay, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, and the reason is because what that bill was doing was extending a public health order that President Trump put into place, which at the time when COVID was raging made perfect sense to put that into place, but uh, it was a public health order. We've declared the pandemic to no longer be a national emergency. Um, I mean, so all the emergency provisions of the pandemic were were rolled back. So Title 42, which came to an end uh, about two months ago uh, as part of that whole process, you may recall, sir, that, you know, all the TV stations were down at the border saying when, you know, the the Title 42 provision was going to expire, it was going to be chaos at the border, you know, we're going to have this huge uh, upsurge. And in fact, the opposite happened because the pre-existing uh, laws which bar illegal entry into this country and which are being enforced today um, actually are stronger than what the public health order did. So what what was happening, and again, I have a nephew who works down there as a Border Patrol officer, so, you know, I'm not just, you know, repeating talking points, you know, from the Democrats. You know, the, the Title 42 order, when people were coming over and, and trying to get in, um, they were just basically stopped, turned around, and they left. But they would just keep coming back because there was no um, disincentive for people to just keep trying. And that was sort of one of the reasons why the numbers were, were what they were. But the the fact is, is that at the end of the day, a public health um, decree is not effective in terms of really uh, making it harder for people who try to get across illegally. The existing law now, if you get caught once and you get caught a second time, you are barred even from uh, applying for asylum for five years. And that is one of the reasons why the volume of, of um, you know, crossings and, and contact has actually gone down since the Title 42 order was repealed. And again, you know, look, I know people on the other side of that debate at the time, and some of them really sincerely believed that we needed to keep that uh, COVID rule um, in place, even though it contradicted the 
elimination of the pandemic order. Uh, but the bottom line is is that um, you know the the existing law is still stronger than the pandemic Title Forty Two. We need to do more. Though I mean, look at I, and as I said, I hear about it in my own family. You know, I hear about it all the time on the so, show. People so, are so frustrated. No, they are. But I mean, one thing that um, <laughs> I, I also want to clarify is is that you know the budget we passed in 2023, which increased the number of border patrol officers, um, ICE officers, and also increased the um, investment in scanning equipment for fentanyl. Uh, again, you know, if you talk to DEA, you talk to the real people who are down on the border, you know, trying to stop this flow of poison coming into this country. The fact is, it comes in by vehicle. It is not getting backpacked in by, you know, you know, kids or whatever. And and the 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 problem is, is that if you go to the the port of entries where where traffic goes in and out of Texas and Mexico or Arizona and and Mexico, and I've been to those. Um, Ports where they where the I mean the volume of traffic is monumental. They can't search every single car, or basically everything would just come to a, a halt. The scanning technology, which is incredibly effective, has been detecting even small amounts of fentanyl, and even a small amount of fentanyl is very dangerous because it really doesn't take much to to really kill people um, or, or overdose people, and um, and that is really where I I think we we've got to put the the focus on in, ter- in terms of drugs. I talked to the Norwich Police Department. I talked to the other you know police departments and the and the all the different um, addiction you know people that are working on this issue and um and and to me you know it is a problem far away from the border up here in, in new england and and that's really what i think is what the, the focus has got to be eric adams in new york and the mayor just uh, i don't know if you heard it i oh absolutely he, it's, he said it's that brutal. My, they were going to ruin the city going to ruin it's out of control yeah okay uh we'll take a couple of questions i want to talk about you know some Things for the veterans that I know you work very hard with. Hi, WICH. What is your question for Congressman Joe? Hello. Hi, WICH. What's your question for Joe Courtney? Joe Courtney, I vote for you. My question is you. I vote for you again. Thank you for your service. (laughs) Well, that's the kind of question that's easy to answer, (laughs) isn't it? Appreciate it, sir. (laughs) How do you address? Oh, that's a thank you answer. (laughs) <laughs> You're on the air. Welcome. Hey, this is for Joe Courtney. What's your question, sir? Yeah, you brought up uh, uh, John Larson's Social Security Bill 2100. Yes. Now, that was brought up three years ago, yep. and I'm just wondering why it's having so much trouble getting through to Congress. No, it's a good question, and, and uh, you know, John works this issue so hard. Um, and last Congress, he had 200 um, co-sponsors, which, you know, takes 218 to pass a bill, which is, you know, really impressive work. Um, it did not come up, and much to John's frustration, and, um, you know, I personally feel we did a lot of good things in the last Congress with infrastructure, you know, and... Um, the CHIPS Act and all this other stuff, but the fact is is that leadership, and Speaker Pelosi was in charge at that point, should have let John's bill come to the floor for a vote, and unfortunately, he was not successful in convincing them to do that, and, and you know, um, you know, that's not, that's been reported in the press, and John, um, you know, is a good, loyal Democrat, you know, to the party there, but I'll tell you, that guy, you know, was not treated right in terms of uh, letting that bill go forward, And um, but you got to keep at it. I mean, sometimes it takes more than one year, for sure, to, to pass legislation. We passed the prescription drug negotiation bill last Congress, which was a good thing, and um, you know, ARP, when they celebrated it, reminded people that they've been at it for 60 years in terms of trying to get price negotiation to lower drug costs, and um, so um you know, we've got new leadership in the in the House. I, I'm not really optimistic that Kevin McCarthy is going to, you know, really be supportive of, of the bill because there were very few, if any, Republicans that supported John's uh, legislation. But, again, the, the senior groups that are familiar with this issue support John's bill. And, by the way, it will strengthen the solvency of Social Security, which at this point is going to, you know, the solvency is going to dip in 2034, which is right around the corner. Hearing about shortage of some particular drugs, which is a serious uh, thing. Well, what is uh, the reasoning for that? COVID or 
Um, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, you know, the fact is, is that we've got a system right now, which is, uh, let's face it, it's very profit-driven in terms of the way drugs are manufactured. And, you know, some of these um, sort of um, drugs that are short supply are because either, you know, they, they don't um, create enough volume to make it profitable for, for drug companies or the, the price isn't what they what they would prefer. It's more usually the, the first issue, though, which is that the volume is not where it ought to be. And, and you know, what we did with the price negotiation for Medicare for prescription drugs um, and, you know, insulin was cut to $35 a month, you know, a drug that had been off patent for over 100 years and cost about 10 bucks to, to produce. Um, you know, that's been a, a big boon for, for people who have diabetes. Uh, the first next 10 drugs are now in the process of getting negotiated downward. But frankly, we have so much more work to do, Stu. Stu your, your question is totally on target. My wife is a nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. She works at Children's Hospital. She has encountered some of these drug shortages. And, and really, in a country like ours, that's just totally unacceptable. But it's also happening in other countries. And it's it's partly because we, we don't have incentives in place for, for drug production, for stuff that is actually life-saving. Congressman Joe Courtney with us, and welcome. Thanks for holding. You're on the air. What's your question? Uh, the Democrats seem, seem to blame the guns for everything and not the criminals. In Connecticut, we lock up the guns. We don't lock up the criminals. I want to know what you're going to do about our criminal justice system. Okay, thank you, sure. sir. So uh, one measure which uh, I did vote for and, and was a Republican bill in this Congress was the HALT Act, which was, uh, again, to crack down on the fentanyl uh, issue, and it included mandatory sentencing, which uh, most Democrats in my caucus wouldn't vote for that, and I... I'm sorry. I, to me, that was something that, you know, anybody who's peddling that stuff out there, um, you know, does not deserve to get any sympathy in terms of, um, you know, the penalties or punishment uh, which they face. I will say this about guns. In my last visit to the Norwich Police Department, you know, we were there to talk about actually some um, communications equipment that I was able to get funding for for the department there. In the midst of the conversation, Chief Daly and some of the detectives brought in examples of ghost guns which are these, you know, completely um, off-label, off-identification weapons that are usually used by gangs um, that are out there. They have absolutely no business. They should not be protected by the Second Amendment. I am sorry. These are not real sort of uh, guns that have any kind of safety. You don't get a license, you don't get a... No, and and they're being... And they're undetectable in terms of criminal investigations Mm -hmm. that were there. And so, you know, Connecticut's taken some steps in terms of dealing with ghost guns. We need to do it on a national basis because this stuff is, like, flowing around out there. And cops have enough problems out there than having to deal with ghost guns. You're you're aware of this, I'm sure, and uh, with your family and everybody else. I... But the American people, well, I can tell by our audiences here in Rhode Island, yep. Connecticut, are tired of hearing about a horrible crime with somebody who had been arrested 18 times, and they keep letting them out of prison. I mean, that is the most frustrating thing. Yep. No, I mean, and I, um, I don't know again, back in the day, I was, you know, I, I practiced law before I, I ran for Congress, and uh, and the rules have changed, I mean, because you would not have seen that. Um, and I, I, you know... We have a presumption of innocence in our um, criminal justice system, which I think is protects all Americans. Having said that, you know the the judges should have the right to really evaluate risk in terms of releasing someone. And um, and and I know New York sort of tried to you know rebalance that that risk evaluation uh, to keep people in in jail longer, but um, it's it's still a, yeah. I, you know it's a still a huge problem. I, by the way, I heard about that at the at the Norwich Police Department as yeah, well. I mean that's uh... yes. Hi, welcome. Your question for Congressman Joe Courtney. Yes. With the cost of living so high, can you comment on a COLA increase for disabled veterans and Social Security recipients? Thank Thank you. you. Absolutely. So uh, this calendar year, 2023, which is, you know, going to wind up in about three or four months, um, you know, Social Security and disabled vets received an 8.7% COLA. Um, again, that was tied to the Department of Labor's index for cost of living. It was the second highest COLA in the history of the Social Security program, which just celebrated its 83rd anniversary. Um, and um, 
and I, and again, I think that shows the wisdom of having a, a mechanism within Social Security and benefit programs like uh, Veterans Disability to really respond to changes in uh, out-of-pocket costs for, for individuals. The next COLA will be calculated um, probably in the next couple months or so. I mean, if you look at the indexes that are out there right now, I mean, in, inflation is not at 9%, which is what it was in 2022 when they calculated this year's COLA. Uh, there will be an increase um, in, in Social Security, no question about it. I don't have any inside skinny, you know, in terms of what the Department of Labor um, is projecting uh, at this point. But it's you you will see that publicly announced probably within the next month or two. And there will be an increase. There, there We went through a number of years, as I think you recall, to where it was zero and um uh you know that is definitely not going to be the case for 2024 Stu Breyer with uh, congressman joe courtney is with us we'll take some more calls but let's when we brought up the veterans uh it took like a zillion years with agent orange to yeah. to address it and now this um the burn pits and tell us about the pact act we've made some progress with that we did so last time i was on here which is back in july um it was right a few days before an event right up at the uh, industrial park at uh, rally point which is the old easter seals building uh, that was up there and it was an enrollment event for veterans in the area there for the pact act which is the toxic burn pit slash agent orange bill slash camp lejeune bill which uh, uh was passed in august of uh of uh, 2022 and um uh, and there was a sort of a soft deadline that was coming up um at the time on august 1st which is that anybody who had applied prior to that date would then be eligible if they you know were found to be uh, um eligible for an award that they that they would get a, a a retroactive payment from when the the law was actually signed into law um that expired on october on august 1st um but moving forward if you you, you can still file i mean if someone's listening today and they think they got a condition that suddenly got diagnosed mm -hmm. by your doctor you can you're not barred from doing it and you will get a retroactive payment from the date of application but anyway in terms of what happened that day Stu, um and, and again partly because of wich getting the word out there we had two, over 200 veterans who showed up it was a saturday morning july 15th 9 to 12 they had to extend the hours for two or three hours because there was a, a waiting list of or waiting line in terms of people who wanted to again submit their claims again we had people from the va um, that were there, and um, 75 claims were, were approved on the spot, um, you know, which was awesome. And um, and then, you know, they have now kind of done the final tally in terms of, you know, where Connecticut stood in terms of the um, the PACT Act applications in year one, and it was over 5,000 uh, claims that were filed, 3,000 were approved, the others are still pending. Um, again, it's a very accelerated uh, process. And as you point out, for Agent Orange victims, um, it expanded the number of countries of service where people would be eligible, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, uh, Singapore, uh, Guam. Uh, and we've had some cases through our office, Manny Manessis, who some of your listeners may know, does all our veterans casework, um, where th that change really made a big difference for people who actually didn't actually go to Vietnam, but were still exposed to this stuff. Okay, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because we, we're always looking out for the veterans. So they can call your office. Yes. And get uh, veterans can get real attention on some of the issues that they may have. Yeah, I mean, uh, Manny, who is no stranger, he goes yeah, to the coffee on, houses, yeah. and, and um, mm -hmm. you know, he, 33 years in the Navy, um, he's, you know, passionate about this. Love those coffee houses. Hi, welcome to the program. What's your question for uh, Joe Courtney? Hello, Mr. Courtney. Hi. Uh, right now, this country, uh, in my opinion, and probably a lot of others, uh, is in the toilet. Uh, do you believe this country is in better shape now than it was four years ago? Thank you. Well, again, I started out the, the show by talking about um, the fact that, um, you know, the largest private employer, not just in the region, but in Connecticut, is hiring, uh, has already hired 4,000 people this year. Um, their, their top line of the workforce down at uh, the shipyard is about 22,000. Uh, four years ago, that number was probably, you know, 16 or 17,000. So, um, and, you know, when, when uh, as someone who's been through the battles in terms of the, you know, funding for the Navy uh, over the years, 
um, you know, we've had a really strong support from Secretary Del Toro, who's uh, 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 the Secretary of the Navy, um, and um, and we've had good support, um, you know, from the president and from uh, Democratic leadership, and and I work with my Republican colleagues on the Sea Power subcommittee. So, I mean, just to use one. I think example, he's referring though to there's a, such a lot of divisiveness. Out of Washington, and uh, you know, we're, well, everybody's so sick of the Biden and the Trump deal, and, and just about everybody uh, would like two other people running, and uh, <laughs> it, it's very frustrating for a lot of the American people. Well, again, I um, I can't control every no, of part of that. <laughs> I mean, if you could, no, you, but, but you I would say that. But, but I do think you know. First of all, we um, you know it's very divided, and I'm I, we I see it every day and have a front row seat to it, and. Um, you know, we get it in the calls that come into the office that's there. Having said that, I would just say this. You know, uh, a few months ago, we were coming up to one of those real cliffs where the debt limit and the full faith and credit of our currency and, you know, uh, treasury paper was at stake. And it was a center-right, center-left coalition that came together, and I was one of them, to vote to take the bill to the floor that protected our nation's financial system and um, and it got done, you know. And we, by the way, saved a trillion dollars in spending as part of that deal. And um, you know, to me, that that's you know where that's what that's what we should be looking to get. do. My favorite yeah. word is bipartisan, right? And so we've got another cliff fast approaching. This is October one to keep the government open. Right here we go. And yeah. uh, they're they're the good the the you know right now the house is tough. I'm you know there's people who want to attach all kinds of conditions to keeping the government open, which is ridiculous. You know they have they have every right in the world to push whatever issue they want, but you don't hold the country at hostage in terms of um, you know getting your way on on things. And um, that's not my approach, and it's uh, hopefully not going to be um, played out over the next two or three weeks when we go back. When I go back next week, WICH, thanks for holding. What's your question for Congressman Courtney? Thank you, um, Mr. Courtney. M- my brother passed away January seventh this year. Yeah, a couple minutes before. I mean, a couple months before he died. He took and uh, renewed his license, driver's license. I went to Motor Vehicle. They're telling me they don't uh, refund on the driver's license. The state of Connecticut has a, a surplus, and I don't understand why they don't send that money back to the person's estate. Okay. Well, thank you. We'll have yeah. him respond to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't deal with state agencies that much. I mean, I'm not going to say we never do, um, but, you know, I can certainly investigate that. I mean, really, honestly, it seems like um, sort of a the decent thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it can't be that sort of mm-hmm. onerous, I would think. But um, I was not aware of that. And, you know, we, we'll I'll, I'll, I'll at least run the traps on it. I'd sure send it back to him, but, you know. Got to go through all these channels. I bet you haven't been asked that question. I have not. No. no that's, uh... Hi, welcome to the program. What's your question? Yes, sir. The gentleman that asked, do you think the country is better off yeah. now than it was four years ago? Could you please answer that? Thank you. Thank you. So uh, four years ago was uh, 2019, okay? Um, we had fewer people working than we do today. Um, you know, which is one indicator that's there. Um, you know, the price of gas is higher today than it was back then. Um, but, you know, the war, in my opinion, um, in international events, and it was just on the news right before Stu and I started talking about Saudi Arabia's arbitrary decision to cut oil production that has caused gas prices to go up. The U.S. is still number one in the in the world in terms of oil production. It's about 12.8 million barrels per day. I know that because I follow it every day because I get asked about it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, that's there, and um, you know, uh, President Biden approved the Conoco uh, oil leases up in Alaska uh, a couple months ago, which is going to allow for more drilling up there. Yesterday, he did um, pull back on some of the other parts of the uh, reserve up in that part of the world there. But you know, I, I would say that you know, energy production has not come to a screeching halt. And, um, you know, my biggest concern from four years ago is that I think our kids are really struggling a lot more. And I I made a school visit a couple days ago where they were talking about some of the emotional problems, the behavioral problems they're seeing in middle school. Oh, yeah. Uh, 35 kids were hospitalized last year in the in the Vernon school system, you know, which is the town I live in. And it was seven the year before that. It's a it's a terrible problem. And. 
Uh, and frankly, I mean, whoever, I mean, I think, frankly, it's just going to re- require a lot of effort from a lot of people, not just the, who's the president of the United States, to try and address this this real um, long-term damage that's out there right now for young people, which is not good for the future of our country. That's what I worry about. That may, may not satisfy you as an answer, but, you know, in terms of what I think is the real serious problems right now, it's 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 making sure that we have healthy um, citizens. Sure, that's one of our big issues for sure. We, you know, a few years ago, we were considered energy independent. Are, are there things that you personally would have done differently, like not close the Keystone Pipeline and things well, like that? Well, if the Keystone Pipeline actually produced oil, I would sort of understand that argument. It doesn't, mm-hmm. okay? And as I said, you know, oil leases are still being um, approved, and companies like Conoco are, are, are still drilling. Um, I, you know, uh, am somebody who thinks that, you know, the efforts to extend uh, some of our nuclear power plants is the right policy, which the infrastructure bill provided uh, resources. And I had the Secretary of Energy in, in Waterford not too long ago where we were talking about some of those issues. We also are now in the process of getting serious about disposing of spent nuclear fuel. There are 13 sites that were just selected by the Department of Energy for interim fuel storage so we can get this stuff out of places like Haddam and, and Waterford, which I think restricts the ability of us to expand nuclear power, which I do think is, you know, clean power. And, um, you know, uh, the, the technology is improving right now. They got these micro reactors that um, don't produce as much uh, spent mm. fuel. The Air Force just approved uh, one of those for uh, um, an air base up in uh, Alaska just a couple days ago. And, um, and the legislature uh, actually approved a modification to Millstone that would allow micro reactors to actually be um, cited there as a way of, again, boosting um, power production here in, in the state That's of Connecticut. That's pretty interesting. That's uh, yeah. interesting. I, I, I do have anxieties because I have to call my oil company today. Yeah. And, no. uh, I haven't checked what the price is, but um, we'll get through it. You're on the air. Oops, we lost somebody. 889-5252 is the telephone number. I haven't checked it in a while because it's been so hot I hadn't been have to turn on... Uh, any of the heat, which is 93 degrees right now. It is hot. We're going to take, uh, well, give us a call. You would be next. Let, let's talk about um, your thoughts about the student loan situation. A lot of people say, well, you know, when I kid went to school, I didn't get anything back. Why should we uh, give uh, the students uh, free college? And uh, what about the interest? And um, right. what's your take on that support? Well, again, I don't think uh, free college, I don't think is, you know, definitely on the boards right now. I mean, community college uh, right now in Connecticut, if you um, work with financial aid offices at Three Rivers or places like that, I mean, they actually can pretty much design a package mm-hmm. um, that makes it almost little cost or no cost that's there. Um, and, you know, the the loan forgiveness proposal which uh, the White House had proposed, got shot down at the U.S. Supreme Court. So um, in the meantime, starting under President Trump, you know, we had this payment pause for student loans that started under COVID. Um, That um, actually will officially expire October 1st. So it's payments are going to have to resume for people who have student loans um, just a couple weeks from now. Uh, actually, interest started accumulating on those loans on September 1st, just a few days ago. Um, so the system is getting sort of uh, ramped up and, and turned back on. So my perspective is is that the you know when student loans um, were created, it was a way of trying to help families pay for college who couldn't put up collateral to go out and get a loan from a bank because they just didn't have enough money to pay for college. Over time, interest that's been getting charged on these um, loans, you know, if if you look at, um, you know, new students going into college this year, this fall at UConn or, you know, whatever, um, it's 5.5% interest that a kid is going to have to start paying on student loans. Um, there are legacy interest rates that are still out there that are 7 8%. If you have a Parent PLUS loan, which parents took out for their kids, that's even higher. That interest goes to the Treasury as revenue. Okay, that is like a windfall for the federal government. In my opinion, that is not what student loans were supposed to be about. You can... You know, I understand the argument that no one should get their principal forgiven on a student loan. That wasn't part of the deal when you took the loan out. But you should not be forcing borrowers to pay interest on top of that. 
and particularly if you hit a pause in terms of, and I'm not talking about a COVID pause, but a, a pause on your payments because you got laid off or whatever, that interest actually goes even higher. So you have a lot of people out there that are paying, that now owe more in interest than they do in principal on their student loans. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, I agree with you 100%. That's, yeah. We don't hear that end of it too much. Right. And and you talk to realtors that are out there. I was just with the Eastern Connecticut Realtors the other day, and they will tell you that even with um, home buyers with two incomes, they can't qualify for a mortgage because of the student loan debt that they're carrying there. So, you know, um, myself and a couple other members worked with a, a, a debt expert <laughs> up in uh, Boston, and um, we've introduced a bill that basically says, you know, we're going to leave student loan balances principle intact. You know, no, no one's getting forgiven for any of that. However, we're going to get the government out of the business of getting revenue off of these loans. And, and you know, for those who are like, well, what happens, you know, for people who don't pay their, their, um, their loan balances, you know, administration of the program? The, we have a mechanism that would cover the cost of getting rid of interest, which is basically to do what the Federal Railroad Retirement Fund does, which is they deposit pension payments into a revolving trust fund that the government owns, invest it in very low-risk, conservative investments like municipal bonds and that sort of thing, and whatever you know income is generated off of that, that pays for the cost of the program. So the, the taxpayer is not subsidizing students. You know, that person who didn't go to college or, you know, paid his own loans off, you're not asking them to, to cover the cost of interest. And, and it just gets the government out of the business of collecting interest. Do your, peer, do your peers feel the same way you do about so that? So we, we, we've been working on this for, for a while. The bill was introduced mm-hmm. in July, right before the break. And, uh, and, uh, but I'm telling you, now that the payments are going to hit on October 1st, there are 43 million student loan borrowers in America today. I, I follow this issue fairly closely. I didn't even realize it was that big a number of 43 million. So I think this thing is going to get a life of its own because, um, as the realtor said, this is going to have a real impact in terms of people's um, economic position and, and in terms of the, you know, just the macro effect of the economy. And, um, you know, we're hopeful we're going to get somebody to start paying attention to this. WICH, thanks for holding. What's your question? Um, I noticed on our registration, car registration, the uh, state parks, the price had gone up now to $15. What's up with that? When most of us don't even use the state parks, and a lot of people, inner city people, are trucked down here, bussed down here to use it. Thank you. Well, again, um, you know, whether it's driver's licenses or state park fees, I mean, um, the United States Congress doesn't sort of vote on those measures. That happens in Hartford. And uh, I'm, I, to be honest with you, I'm just not that familiar with the state mm-hmm. park um, fee structure that's happening. I thought that Connecticut was actually trying to make that easier on people, but I, I, I did not realize it went up. I mean, well, I see what's your question for Congressman Courtney? Hi. I've heard that the asylum seekers or the illegals that are flooding New York City and our country are getting um, assistance from the federal government uh, money every month. Is that true? No. Uh, I you. mean, the, the, the city Thank is you. getting some help in terms of just housing people, in terms of... Uh, you know, finding um, a roof or, you know, some type of shelter for, for people that are there. Um, but there is no cash benefit or uh, other types of assistance that's there. I, you know, the one thing that the governor of New York, uh, Kathy Hochul, uh, was calling for is that, um, you know, some of these people can actually get... Uh, and, and again, when, they're, when they're pen- their asylum case is pending... Um, you know, that's where this, in my opinion, that's the cause of the problem. It takes too long for these asylum cases to get decided. And, you know, they've tried to move more people into positions of adjudicating these cases and deciding yes or no. You're eligible, you're not eligible. And if you're not eligible, you go. And, I, and I, when I was down in El Paso, you know, they had the asylum court right there inside the facility there. And we, we talked to to. Um, some of the staff there about people who, yeah, when you lose, you go. And the majority of people do lose. That's there. So we've got to accelerate the handling of those cases. But in the meantime, for people who are waiting for their cases and got shipped up to New York, um, you know, uh, the governor of New York was basically saying, well, why can't we at least get some temporary work permits and get people to, like, you know, do something, you know, constructive while they're there? And because um, they're not all threats or high risk necessarily. And um, 
but the bottom line is we just got to move these these cases faster so there isn't this kind of you know overflow of people coming up to to New York City. And at nine five two five two, we have an open line for the first time this hour. What is the um, homeless situation in uh, in Connecticut? Um, what do we do to deal with that? Yeah, so I, I we have been spending a, lot, a bunch of time talking about housing um, since uh, I, I've been home here, and um, you know we really um, going back to your caller, you know, probably four years ago, Connecticut was in a pretty good place right now in terms of. Um, you know, homeless uh, programs that were out there. Um, and uh, right now, because of the, the, the fact that our housing market, I think, is really backed up and supply is really um, tight, um, in ter- which I think is part of the issue with homelessness, um, you know, we're, we're starting to see the system is starting to, um, you know, feel pressure. I, I was at St. Martin's um, house in Norwich over at um, you know the Uncas campus there, and um, that's a supportive housing program. They usually move people in and out of there like six nine months at a time or whatever, and they're finding it harder to get people out into um, units because they're just not available. That's there, and that's not good because that means that people who should be getting help coming in aren't aren't getting that help. So um, you know my my. Um, you know, what I'm hearing from, from folks who are working in this issue here is that, you know, we, we've got to deal with supply of housing at almost every level, whether it's single-family houses with more home construction or whether it's more um, units um, that are out there for, for people to move into. By the way, this is an electric boat issue because they're bringing in people from other parts of the country, <laughs> and they're having a hard time finding a place to live mm-hmm. in this area. And um uh, same thing at Quonset Point over in Rhode Island, um, you know, where they have, you know, a bunch of hiring going on over there is that, um, you know, that, that we, we need more supply that's out there. Norwich, by the way, with Ponema Mill, and, you know, that, that's been a really good um, addition to the um, supply in this area here. New London has built 1,000 units in the last couple of years, so there's definitely more, um, you know, home, housing construction that's going on there as well. And uh, it's my understanding that the legislature did pass some um, provisions to incentivize, you know, more construction and housing construction in the state of Connecticut. And uh, and I and I think it's an economic issue at the end of the day. We, we've got to, be, you know, find places for our workforce to live. Yeah, got to stay on top of that. Look what's happening in California. Yes, no, I, you're yeah, absolutely right, Stu. I could not agree with you God. more. It's hard to, yeah, it's hard to bear with some of those people. Are going through. Um, Stu Bryan with you, WICH. We have a few more minutes with Congressman uh, Joe Courtney. Uh, just your uh, opinion on school security. Um, unfortunately, we live in a time when we've talked a lot about that on the program. And when I went to school, a crime was chewing gum. And now it's uh, some of the things that are happening. Um, do you agree that we should have an armed Policemen in schools. You know, I I think it's a it's a judgment call for the local school district and um, you know the the um, super superintendents and the staff that are there. And if they make the call that they want that, then they should have that. I mean, that's to mm-hmm. me, you know, um, as simple as that. And the. Um, uh, as I said, we, we made a school visit uh, up in Vernon, which is the fourth largest town in the second congressional district there. They had, a, in my opinion, an excellent system, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, multiple checks before you could get inside the building there. And, um, you know, and that's just the reality that, you know, um, that they have to contend with. And then in terms of, you know, within the school, I know they have school resource officers that are certainly there to back up staff and, and the teachers if kids are acting out. One of the other things that we're talking a lot about in this program with different opinions is that is what is being taught in schools uh, with uh, young people at earlier ages and some school systems want to discuss these things with the young people without discussing it with the parents. That has been a big issue on our program. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, um, a successful education for a child uh, has to include the family and parents, you know, and let's face it, some parents uh, are super engaged and that's not, yeah. that's a non-issue. And mm-hmm. then some parents, you know, um, uh, but you know, if, if parents are having problems, they shouldn't just get brushed off and ignored. I mean, I, cause I, frankly, I don't think that works for the kid, let alone, you know, um, 
whatever you know response that the that the parent actually has and the school districts that in my opinion are the most successful in this area really make parental engagement um not just sort of a, a box to check but actually a real priority and and you know i i, I would just say this because some of this issue kind of bubbles up into washington you know it is black letter law in this in in federal law that uh, we do not get involved in local school district decisions on things mm-hmm. like curriculum or reading material as much as I know some people would like it necessarily I mean I think that is a disaster to have Congress be the Board of Education for America or the Secretary of Education be the school superintendent of America I mean I, I, I really do believe in um, the fact that you know the public school system, you know, really belongs to local communities. Not every community has the same, um, you know, profile in terms of, you know, what, um, you know, whether it's rural or urban or suburban in terms of, uh, you know, what works for kids to succeed. Mm-hmm. WICHI. Hi. Um, I have a question about rent control. Is anything being done in the in the state of Connecticut about rent control? Thank you so for again, I, my understanding is that there was legislation um, to empower local towns to um, set up um, more than just rent commissions, because that used to be the laws that you, you know there were towns that could set up a commission where you could have their your rent reviewed, um, and but they didn't necessarily have like the enforcement power to you know deny a rent increase that's there and. Um, uh, again, this is this is a state issue. It's not a federal issue per se, and um, but it's um, you know obviously it, that creates a pretty big tug of war with landlord groups you know out there in terms of uh, you know being free to you know own their property and do with it what they want, um, and so that's why the commission model, which basically gives at least a, a forum for people to at least complain and and you know um, put the spotlight on unfair increases is in place. I do think that there are certain groups like um, elderly and disabled, though, that do have a little bit more rights in terms of challenging rent increases. But to be honest with you, it's been a while since I looked at the state law, so um, you know, I, I would encourage you to call your state legislator. So, Joe, do you think uh, age should have a matter when, it's, when you're running for president? I mean, I do, I, I, and I and I think um, you know infirmity, and you know, um, is certainly a factor that's out there. And um, you know, I mean, we Ronald Reagan, you know, lived long into his last term in office, and I think he's revered in, in history. That's there, um, you know, but it's um, you know, it's an incredibly demanding job in I terms of, uh, and, and um, uh, yeah, it's just because let's face it, I mean, you can never really turn off world events, let alone, you know, national events in terms of uh, what comes through there. And so um, there is no question that's going to be a debate and, I, and I, you know, part of the um, election that's coming up. We all age differently, but for the most part, we're just not as uh, spry as we were. <laughs> you might, that's why my knee hurts so much yeah. these days. <laughs> you know, I think about that a lot. I said, yeah, why would anybody want to be president? I wake up and I said, Oh, my checkbook. i got to worry about my check. <laughs> Can you imagine having all those other things on your plate? Are you kidding me? I, I, so I guess age should uh, matter. We'll, we'll be right back. And, and the voters are, will be the judge. We'll be the judge, of course. We'll be right back. Congressman uh, Joe Courtney is with us for another uh, couple of minutes. I uh, get my... Earphones working okay today, a little bit off. You know, I've known you for a long time, uh, Joe, so I can ask you this question. Sure. And this question is, do you ever feel, now whether you're a Republican or Democrat, folks out there, and somebody on your side comes up with something that you say, wait a minute, that is, uh, what is that all about? Is it hard to speak up? Um I mean, I. If I know I you want to, to be on the yeah. team. Everybody wants to be on their yeah, team. Yeah, but I mean, I if if there's a, um, a, a an idea that I reject, I mean, I'm not going to, um, you know, use my privilege of voting representing a district like this to to um, support it. So I'll give you an example, which is that um, there was an amendment that was offered by a member from Massachusetts. Uh, a couple of years ago, who wanted to just lower the voting age um, to 16? Mm-hmm. That was there, Remember that, and, and, yeah. and um, you know, um, you know, there's people who think that's you know, believe that's the right thing to do. Um, but I 
completely, you know, say nope, sorry, and you know that, and and voted no on that. I, you know, there's been amendments for across the board cuts in the defense budget. There's been amendments to cut shipbuilding. I mean, and and you know, there are uh, folks who, um, you know, let's face it, in terms of the Middle East and issues involving um, Israel, you know, um, you know, are are trying to cut. Um, the military support and assistance we give to the country of Israel, which is an ally of our nation, um, where, I mean, I part ways with them and don't make any bones about it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good That's good to know. I mean, things like, uh, you know, transgender shows with kids involved, uh, you know, I think, well, why would anybody, you know, go along with that? Things like that. Right. I wonder. Well, I, I you know, anything with kids, I mean, um, you know, to me, that is like... You know, off limits and and mm-hmm. totally yeah. um, beyond the pale. Let's take one more call. Welcome to the. Whoops. Oh. <laughs> okay, we're out of time. Any last words, Joe? Uh, good to have you here. Yeah, you know, I, I would just say this, and, and you know, we uh, didn't get a chance to get into it too much, but um, right now we're in the midst of a process with um, a great ally. Speaking of allies, um, the country of Australia, who now is mm-hmm. looking to uh, buy um, the submarines that are built in, in um, southeastern Connecticut, and we had a, a visit from a gentleman who's the. Uh, Sec- Minister of Defense and Industry, uh, Pat Conroy, who came up and took a quick tour of EB and, um, you know, a little bit in the region here. And uh, I had to leave after a while. Great guy. His wife's maiden name is Courtney, so we had fun kind of trying to figure out whether uh, I have relatives mm-hmm. in Australia. Anyway, as I was leaving, he said to me, he goes, you know, you have an amazing district that you represent. And, you know, it was funny because I... I it, it sort of caught me off guard a little bit when he said that, but I, I've been thinking about it ever since, which is that, you know, here's a guy who, you know, came from half a world away, you know, was visiting here and looked around and saw what, you know, we do in this um, corner of Connecticut and um, and made that assessment. And, you know, he was getting briefed on different things that go on here. And, um, and you know, to be honest with you, it really just um, reminded me about how much I... Um, am honored by this job and and i agree with him this is an amazing part of our country and um, sometimes i think people uh, forget that a little bit or overlook that you know in terms of just um you know the the stuff that they are talking about or hearing about every single day um you know we're 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 really blessed i think in a lot of ways in terms of the you know the quality of life um and the care that people have about issues that we talked about here for the last hour and um and you know to me that kind of gets me out of bed in the morning in terms of just saying you know that this is a job that i need to do my best at because the people deserve it yeah that's that's my great feeling is uh anybody who's a politician number one should be the american people no it, it, it should be the the number one thing thank you so much for being okay, here still i didn't get to china i didn't get to china too too much for at we'll all come back we'll get we'll a back. slow boat to china next time all right very good all right Thanks to Take our care. guests, Congressman Joe Courtney.